W-P-H-A-T. You're listening to the number one health and wellness podcast, the place where health and consciousness connect perfectly, perfectly healthy, healthy and tone, tone radio, radio, radio with your host, Darren McDuffie. And now prepare to get fat. What's cracking, peeps? Darren McDuffie here, alias Fat Man, helping you become perfectly healthy and toned. And this podcast is being brought to you by PerfectlyHealthyAndToned.com. Today's episode is number 159 with Morley Robbins entitled Getting off the ferris wheel but before i get into more details about this show i want to remind you of the previous show i did with amy b Shear on her book this is how i save my life now this was probably one of my more favorite shows of 2018 just simply because amy and i connected on so many levels we found out that we are both virgos born in the month of september and we're both recovering perfectionists and amy talks about how she overcame perfectionism on the podcast and also she shares many universal lessons throughout her book while we talk about that on the podcast. Now today's show is 159 with Morley Robbins entitled Getting Off the Ferris Wheel and again Ferris is spelled F-E-R-R-O-U-S which is another name for iron. I've had Morley on the show this is his third time. The first time he came on he talked about magnesium which is a much needed nutrient. If you haven't listened to that show I would thoroughly encourage you to go back and listen to that one. The second one is called copper and iron dysregulation in the body, I believe. And this third podcast, again, is, is entitled Getting Off the Ferris Wheel. And we talk a little bit more about iron and some other things that he's discovered about it. But I would encourage you to go back and listen to the second show because that second show, or the third show rather, builds upon the second show and more things that he's discovered. Now, what I want to say about this podcast is that we becoming or have become iron men and iron women. And if I can use that analogy, what I mean by that is that we've sort of become infatuated with iron iron in a society. A lot of our foods are fortified with iron. I did a blog post many years ago on cereal and what I exposed in that blog post was the fact that when cereal is fortified with iron, they're actually using iron filings or iron fillings within that cereal to fortify it with iron and that's what you're eating. And the fact that we're being exposed or overexposed to iron all the time really means that it can become toxic within the body. If you know anything about the body, you know that the body would like to remain balanced and anything that's too much of a good thing is too much if that makes sense. So you have to have something to balance it out and iron and copper have an antagonistic nature and Morley goes into that in great detail in this podcast. So sit back, enjoy, and listen, and let's get into Morley's bio. Morley Robbins, aka The Magnesium Man, is the founder of the Magnesium Advocacy Group and the creator of the Root Cause Protocol. Morley had been a hospital executive and consultant for 32 years when several years ago, he developed a condition called frozen shoulder. Friends who owned a health food store intervened and encouraged Morley to try chiropractic care. His initial response, Thanks, guys, but I don't do witchcraft. Several months later, the pain was wearing on him and his friends insisted. It took only a couple of weeks of light 
chiropractic care before the shoulder had full range of motion once again. The experience was so life-changing for Morley, he questioned everything he knew or thought he knew about healing. He left the world of hospital administration and became a wellness coach. Coming up on episode 159 with Morley Robbins entitled Getting Off the Ferris Wheel, here is what you're going to learn. What is retinol? What is the negative impact of low-fat diets? How can vitamin D destroy retinol? Interesting verbiage here. Play close attention as Morley details why you may want to stop taking vitamin D supplements. I know a lot of us are not getting adequate sunlight, but Morley gives a good argument as to why you may not want to be taking vitamin D supplements. What is etaponectin? Hey, I get knowledge too, and I didn't know what etaponectin is. And why are vegans most iron toxic? Nothing against my vegans out there, but chances are that you may be iron toxic and you don't know about it. Really good to be informed. And the last thing is, how do parasites feed on iron? This is something that really intrigued the heck out of me, and I know it's going to intrigue the heck out of you. Now, let's get into the podcast. Before jumping into episode 159, as I spoke of in 158, I'm going to currently tell you about the products that I am promoting. I only have one product right now. I'm working out the details of the second product, but this first product really got me enthusiastic because I've seen a lot of great testimonials about it and it's called Somaderm Gel. I myself have experienced some great benefits from using the gel. One is my exercise recovery time has gotten a lot quicker. Also, my vision has become more acute. I've been wearing glasses and contacts since the seventh grade and even with glasses and contacts and being in my latter 40s, I've noticed my vision has become a lot less clear. But since using this gel, my vision has been a bit more acute. If you want to know more about the Somoderm Gel, I suggest you go to longevitygel.com. Longevitygel.com. There you can leave your email and you can sign up for the webinar and learn more about the product. Thanks and enjoy the podcast. Marley Robbins, welcome to Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. How are you? Doing great, Darren. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, man. It's nice to have you back. You are, I think you are the first guest that I've had on three times. And for the audience out there, if you have not gone and listened to Morley's first two podcasts, I advise you to do so because actually this podcast is going to build on the first two. The first one I believe was about magnesium. The second one is about kind of a reboot of what we're going to talk about tonight. And that's copper and iron dysregulation in the body and some more new stuff that Morley has learned. But Morley, for those people who may not have listened to those first two shows, just give us a brief synopsis of how you came about and what are you doing now? (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Boy, that was about almost a decade ago. So I was, had spent the, the 20 years prior to that as a hospital consultant and was getting burned out, and in fact, my body was saying, we're done with this, and I, I developed what's called a frozen shoulder from pulling a suitcase behind my back for 20 years, and <clears throat> literally couldn't pick my hand up above my waist. Uh, that threw me into the world of natural healing, because a doctor wanted to operate, and I said, I don't think that's the answer, and friends recommended a chiropractor, I said, I don't do witchcraft. I took some supplements that didn't do anything, and I went back to the health food store saying, you must have something stronger. And the owner of the store looked me in the eye and said, Morley, we love you. Go see Dr. Liz. 
So with my tail between my legs, I went to see Dr. Lewis, who's now my wife. And uh, within a matter of a couple of weeks, she had my full rotation and mobility back in my arm. And it really threw me into a kind of a tailspin because up until that point, I was an allopathic brat, knew that if you had a problem, you went to an MD and took medications and that was it. And that whole experience with Dr. Liz uh, really forced me to reevaluate what was going on. I started writing about interesting diseases and things. I was particularly focused on heart disease. And a friend recommended that I read uh, Carolyn Dean's book on magnesium, The Magnesium Miracle, which is just an amazing book. Really enjoyed it. And that's really what I guess I cut my teeth on that book. And that started my journey with minerals in general, with magnesium in particular. And that was literally nine years ago. And so I started the magnesium advocacy group five and a half years ago and started training people in the Copernican Institute about a year ago, a little over a year ago. And so my life has changed in, in many ways. And now the magnesium advocacy group on Facebook has over 150,000 people. Probably the last time we talked, it was probably under, it was probably around 70,000. So it's more than doubled since we've talked. And it's just, it's uh, kind of an out-of-body experience. And I've trained 100 people. My goal is to train 10,000 people before I kick the bucket. So I got to I gotta dance pretty fast, man, to, yeah, yeah. to keep, keep my well, numbers going. It's a... It's a big um, a big task but it's also great to see you doing what you're doing because i remember i remember hearing you on sean croxton's show for those people who are out there and mm-hmm. i was kind of i'm kind of an odd shoot from sean and i remember hearing morley on that show and when i started my show i got you on and at that point in time you were the magnesium man you're still kind of known as a monique magnesium man but you kind of branched out into other things but before we get into what you're doing right now and why it's so important. You mentioned something about the Copernican Institute. I, I'm not familiar with that. What is, what is that exactly? Well, Copernicus, as we all know, was the guy who said, wait a minute, the Earth is not the center of the universe. It's, you know, it's a, it's a planet that revolves around the center of the universe, which is called the sun. So <clears throat> based on that spirit of courage and conviction, I've created a, a training program. It's a 16-week online training program, or it's a long weekend on-site training program to train practitioners and people who want to become practitioners on how to help people uh, understand their disease process from a, a mineral standpoint. And basically what I've done is I've moved, removed iron from the center of the allopathic model, because they, they worship iron, and I put magnesium and bioavailable copper in the center, and the, and the body runs a lot different, and it runs a lot happier on uh, magnesium and bioavailable copper, but it's a, a program that's really designed to bring clarity to what the metabolic uh, dysfunction is all about that so many people are struggling with, and what I've done is developed a model based on a, a Ferris wheel, and we've all been on a Ferris wheel. Well, I spell it differently. It's F E R R 
O-U-S, because that's the form of iron that will kill us. And, and what happens is when the body's not able to work with that ferrous iron, we get symptoms, and those symptoms sit in the seats. And, and practitioners of, of all faiths are taught to treat the seats, and I focus on the axle. And the axle's broken. It doesn't have enough bioavailable copper. doesn't have enough magnesium. And one of my new insights is it doesn't have enough retinol, which is a breakthrough uh, component of our, our food and nutrition uh, because of its role in helping to regulate iron and uh, empower copper in the body. Yeah, I wanted to get into that. But from what I'm understanding from you and from researching before the show, you were the first person I remember the last podcast we did, I believe was in 2016. Still hard for me to believe two years ago. Time flies. But you coined the phrase magnesium burn rate. And yeah. you were talking just a short while ago about Carolyn Dean and how she's focused on magnesium. But you're moving away from just the focus on magnesium. You're also trying to find out why is magnesium burning so readily in the body. And you talk about iron and copper and the dysregulation of both of those. But what's happening in our society when regards when it comes out? You already said that the practitioners pretty much worship iron. So what's happening in regards to iron and the copper? and why we're seeing a lot of the ailments that we're seeing. Great, great question, Darren. Here's a, here's a simple way to look at it. In, um, in 1955, uh, President Eisenhower had a heart attack in, in September of 1955. And as a result of that, America was put on a low-fat diet. And we were told at the time that it was because they were trying to lower our cholesterol. And of course, a guy named Ansel Keys was behind that and played a very instrumental role. He played an instrumental role during the Second World War in feeding the GIs. He, the K rations were named for Ansel Keys. That, that's who it was named for. But he carried a lot of weight in Washington, and he convinced people that cholesterol was what was killing people with heart disease. So Eisenhower gets a heart attack. We go on a low-fat diet, and for 65 years... 60 years, 60 years, we're subjected and held hostage to this insane fight over cholesterol. You know, is it HDL, LDL? Is it the particle size? Is it, you know, this ratio, that ratio, and all this research and billions and billions of dollars. And then when all the dust settles, it turns out that in 2016, uh, Raznikov and Diamond and a group of other scientists publish a definitive study uh, <clears throat> basically saying that cholesterol has nothing to do with heart disease. And that's a fact. It doesn't. And so what's come to light, though, is that when you go on a low-fat diet to eliminate cholesterol, you cut retinol out of your diet. And when retinol is, is in a state of deficiency in the human body, a lot of really bad things start to happen. Retinol is... In fact, a chain-breaking antioxidant. Why, what, what the heck am I talking about? Well, when you have what's called lipid peroxidation, which is what causes plaque to form, it's the rusting of the fats of the cell membranes inside the artery. 
And when that rusting process starts, it is a chain of events. And retinol stops that chain. That's the, uh, I'm sorry, Mark, that's the oxidative stress that happens within, within the cell. Exactly. That's exactly right. And so retinol stops that, but retinol goes on to do many amazing things. One of the one of the topics that I'm sure we discussed back in 2016 was the importance of what's called, it's the master antioxidant enzyme called ferrooxidase. Well, in order to enable ferrooxidase to express, and what is what is it doing? It's trying to regulate the iron that needs regulating in our body because iron is a very toxic element despite what people think about it. And it's, in fact, retinol that loads the copper into the protein to enable that enzyme to express. I just, I just came across that research a couple weeks ago, but it's research that's 30 years old, Darren. This is from Barber and Cousins at the University of Florida in Gainesville. And they've very definitively proved that it was, that it's retinol that does this. Well, then it gets even more exciting when you find out that retinol has what are called retinoid receptors. There's RAR receptors and there's RXR receptors. Well, why are they important? Because genes don't express without RAR or RXR at critical points. So, do you know anybody who has gene defects? Are you working with anyone who has gene defects? I would pretend that, that much of the chaos that's existing in society today around MTHFR and all these other SNPs that people are freaking out about is because they took retinol out of our diet 60 years ago. And so we, we all grew up in low-fat families. We don't even think about it. And what, what do we eat? We eat lean meat. Those, those aren't two words. It's one word. Lean meat is how you say it. So we've, we have, we have literally eliminated fat from our diet. And, and I know there are many people out there who are eating a paleo diet, but they're not getting, they're not getting the retinol that they need. How would I know that? Because they're not eating liver and they're not eating cod liver oil and very nutrient dense sources of retinol that are absolutely critical for our well-being. Yeah. You mentioned, I, I believe when a long time ago, when I, uh, was really into researching paleo. One of the things that they recommended in, in uh, Cordain's book, I believe, if don't quote me on this, is that they recommend lean meats. And I thought that was, was very odd, not saying that the paleo diet is not a good diet, but I thought it was odd that they would recommend lean meats. You also mentioned, just mentioned cod liver oil, which nobody really uses cod liver oil anymore. I know I was using it at one point and I stopped, but in your group, that magnesium advocacy group, you recommend a, a brand. What brand is that that you recommend? The one that I, I feel the best about is called Rosita's, R-O-S-I-T-A, apostrophe S. It's an old uh, family-run uh, business out of Norway, and uh, it's a very potent form of cod liver oil. And again, what, what people are not aware of there is that everyone's, you know, all obsessed with their D status, not knowing that vitamin A and vitamin D are antagonists, not knowing that when they take vitamin D supplements, it's not really going to improve their health. In fact, it's going to 
weaken their health. But what it's also going to do is it's going to destroy the retinal status in their lib in their liver, in their eyes, and in their body. And because people don't know about vitamin A, they'll say, well, it can't be that serious. We're, we're talking about a game-changing elimination of a vital nutrient that is what enables humans to have optimal health. When, when we talked last time, I think that you, and I don't know if this changed, and I might be incorrect because, like I said, it was two years ago, but I do believe you were talking about vitamin D and maybe recommending it, and now that's changed. Why are you suggesting us to take vitamin D out and not take any vitamin D supplements? Yeah, I don't think I would have been promoting vitamin D even when we talked in 2016. <laughs> I'd say that I don't know if I was right or no, it's okay. it's been two years. You know, I've, I've been fighting this battle for about seven years, and I've got a list of about 14 people that agree with me, so we're not exactly in the, in the majority. But, but the problem with vitamin D is several fold. First of all, what your listeners might want to do is look up a, an important study by Deng, D-E-N-G, 2013, looking at um, vitamin D and magnesium status in the NHANES data. And what you're going to find is figure one is an excellent profile of every facet of vitamin D metabolism requires magnesium. So when people have what is called low vitamin D, that's the storage level, and what, what that means is that they have low magnesium status because they can't flip the, the enzyme that's in their liver they, they don't have enough magnesium to flip the precursor to the storage form of, of vitamin D. Low vitamin D is a signpost for inflammation. And taking vitamin D will not reverse the inflammation because that's not how the body works. But low magnesium is a clinical sign of inflammation. And that's the work of William Wiglicki and uh, Terry Phillips back in 1992. That's an established fact that, that magnesium, low magnesium status in the cell causes inflammation. And the low vitamin D expression in our blood is a reflection of that, not a cause of that. And the other thing that people need to understand is that when they take vitamin D supplements, this is a soy-based supplement. It's fat. And in fact, the, the vitamin D that we need in our body needs to be water-based. And that's the penetrating work of Stephanie Seneff out of MIT. That when we get our vitamin D from the sun, that sunlight kisses our chemistry and it sulfates the vitamin D so that it becomes water-soluble and then can get where it's needed. When it's in a fat-soluble form, it doesn't get where it's needed. And people have no idea how destructive that is. Uh, some very important research was done by Dr. Ferris, who was a professor of medicine at Yale Medical School. I think that's a pretty impressive school. And this was in 1962, Darren, and he published a study that proved that taking vitamin D supplements causes renal potassium wasting. I've done over 5,000 hair tests, and every person that I've done a hair test for that's taken vitamin D has 
next to no potassium in their hair test, which is a very serious problem. Why? Because when potassium is low, then the cell can take on more iron. And people don't realize that that iron is not happy and friendly. It is toxic and reactive and likes to cause oxidative stress like we were talking about before. And so so when there, there are just compelling reasons why vitamin D is completely misunderstood. And then we come back to what I had said a minute ago. Taking vitamin D destroys retinol status. And people don't, they're just not aware of how dangerous and destructive that uh, dynamic is. What I did was just to prepare for this is because when I do a show, I'm really thinking about how to prepare, what questions I'd like to ask. And one of the things that I remember just, and I see this on TV all the time about copper, these copper bracelets and copper knee bracelets, braces and things like that. So copper to me is supposed to be anti-inflammatory. What, from looking at everything that you put out on the group and everything that you say, what I'm realizing is that there's too much iron in our bodies, period. And therefore, the copper cannot do what it needs to do. Is that a fair assumption to say that the copper is anti-inflammatory, but it can't work its magic in the body if there's too much iron, which you believe that we, we are iron-dominant society? I wish I could get through the airwaves and give you a hug right now. That's exactly, <laughs> what, that's exactly what's going on, Darren. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's a very serious problem because, you know, why would you want to wear copper where it needs to be woven into the connective tissue of your body. From from head to toe, we have connective tissue. And that connective tissue is supposed to be made by a key enzyme called lysine oxidase. That's a copper-dependent enzyme. And so all of the connective tissue relies on that lysine oxidase, whether we're talking about ligaments, tendons, fascia, blood vessels, all these tissue require a critical uh, knitting together of collagen and elastin so that the so that the tissue has strength and flexibility and it requires copper to do that and so literally we have a grid from head to toe that is based on copper and this idea of wearing copper on the outside is ludicrous because it's not really solving the problem we have the, the tragedy is you know we're living in a post 1984 world, and folks recall that 1984 was about the time when everything turns upside down and backwards, where black becomes white and white becomes black, and citizens become enemies of the state. So the thing is, people have been trained to think of copper as a toxin, and they've been trained to think that iron is deficient. And I'm here to tell you, in 2016, 32 years after that book was released, is it's just the opposite. Copper is one of the most important minerals in the human body, but it needs to be bioavailable, and what makes it bioavailable is retinol. And iron is one of the most toxic metals in the body, and it needs to be properly handled and bound. And if copper is not bioavailable, iron is not bound, and it becomes rogue in the body. And that's the source of the oxidative stress and the inflammation that is attached to every disease state that people know about. They've just never known that 
that it was excess unbound iron that was causing all that problem. Yeah, it's amazing because I was looking over a lot of the stuff, like I said, just to be able to talk on an intelligent level when I'm speaking. But you you came up with something that's very interesting. And I remember several years ago sitting in a, a natural path office and he told me he drew five fingers for me. And on those five fingers, he had things like fungus, bacteria, parasites, viruses. And there was one more, which I can't can't remember right now. But you brought up something that was interesting. You said the parasites and all these things feed on iron. How How is that? And it, it actually explains why a lot of people are sick because being iron dominant, obviously we might have these things within our body and they're just constantly feeding on the iron. Whereas it was thought before that parasites feed on sugar, but you're saying that if they feed on iron. Well, they do. I mean, that, and, and that is not my thinking. Um, I had a, an opportunity a number of months ago to chat uh, via Skype with one of the world's iron authorities. His name is uh, Douglas Kell. Uh, he's at the University of Manchester. He was recently knighted in 2014 for his pioneering research into ferritin, which is a completely misunderstood uh, storage protein. Maybe we'll talk about that later. But at the start of the conversation, Dr. Kell, he he's about my age, very affable guy, got a wall of books behind him. He said, Morley, I just want you to know two things. He said, first of all, I really enjoyed your Theory of Everything video. I thought that was well done. And people might, who are interested, it's about a 52-minute video that explains uh, the crisscross between uh, magnesium and iron in the body as we age. And he said, I really, I like the way you laid it out. It was well done. He said, but the second thing I want to do is make sure that I put your mind at rest about the fact that all pathogens feed on iron. He said, that is an absolute fact. And he has written an article uh, just this spring with another Dr. Pretorius, so Kel and Pretorius, 2018, uh, all, all effects have causes. And basically what he profiles is that the combination of excess iron and vitamin D in the body is creating chaos in human beings. And Dr. Kel doesn't just write casual articles. He has articles that have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of citations. I think the one that the 2018 one is about 500 citations. One that he was knighted for had 2,400 citations. So suffice it to say that most people are operating off a very narrow and incorrect set of assumptions about iron and copper, and what, who's really uh, in, in control and, and who's important in terms of the overall health of the body. I wanted to ask you this because I saw an article today, or an ad rather, on Instagram. You follow social media, and the person was advertising to take a liquid iron supplement. Is that advisable? And the other question I had for you that came up, uh, in my mind today, just preparing for the interview, is like there are certain foods that contain iron, like potatoes and beans. Is that something that we should be aware of or we should kind of cut back on if we're looking to kind of rid our body of this excess iron or not accumulate it 
uh, add to the accumulation of it? No, great, great question. <clears throat> I think what we need to do is step back and um, the, the Chinese have a famous saying, uh, you don't judge the depth of a river with both feet. And so I think people tend to to dive into subjects not really understanding what's what's the lay of the land. And so I put a lot of emphasis on testing. Um, you know, I do I do a hair test and I also do a blood test that is that has really evolved over the last five years. When I started it, it was a very timid assessment of magnesium in the red blood cell and I was looking at, you know, copper and, and ceruloplasmum. And what it's evolved into is about a 15-part blood test that really begins to get into the um, parameters of what's really going on with copper iron uh, dynamics. And it looks at hemoglobin, and it looks at ferritin, but it's also looking at the ratio of vitamin A to vitamin D. Turns out there should be 10 times more retinol in our blood than there is vitamin D. Uh, some of my graduates are now starting to test for this. One of them recently had this test done, and she was shocked to find out, and she was a high-dose vitamin D supplementer a number of years ago. She stopped. She stopped probably two, two and a half, almost three years ago, and she was shocked to find out that her A to D ratio was 1.5 to 1. It should be 10 to 1. What I can assure you is that the vibration of the human body is very different when vitamin A is 10 times higher than vitamin D because these nutrients have frequency. They have an energetic uh, dynamic to them. So the, the, the question you're asking about what to do with the diet, I really would encourage people to take the time to get proper testing to find out what is the true status of their iron. Most people, if you asked walking down the street, do you have any issues with iron? I'll bet you six out of ten people think they're anemic. Well, it turns out that that anemia is not from a lack of iron, it's from a lack of retinol. And so I spell anemia A hyphen anemia because that lack of vitamin A undermines the body's ability to make hemoglobin and it's, in its truest sense, anemia is a lack of hemoglobin and a lack of red blood cells. It's not low ferritin. Ferritin is not the marker people should be using for uh, iron status. That is a completely contrived marker. And maybe we'll talk about that a little bit later. But the thing is, relative to uh, the, the foods, the first step is to find out what is your true iron status and if people have low serum iron and low percent saturation, I would contend that that means that their recycling program is not working right. And let me explain what I mean by that. We need about 25 milligrams of iron a day for an average adult. And here's the kicker. 98% of that iron is supposed to come from a recycling program within our body. It has the formal name reticuloendothelial system, which I think is a very stupid way of saying 
recycling, and that's all it is. It's a network of cells, principally macrophages, which are the professional pac-men of the body, and they recycle this iron in the liver, in the enterocytes, uh, in the um, spleen, uh, and in the bone marrow. There's a number of places where this these handoffs are taking place. In any event, the recycling is supposed to account for 98% of our iron. We're supposed to get 1%, or excuse me, 1 milligram of iron from our diet. And what many of your listeners probably don't realize is that most of the food that they're eating that's not organic is being fortified with iron at a, at a rate that people have no idea. And this iron fortification started during the beginning of the Second World War in 1941 in England, Canada, the United States, and it appears that Australia was a part of it. So this iron fortification is continuing to build because it's used in all the countries that we feed. And India, March a year ago, made a very significant decision to start to fortify the iron, excuse me, fortify the rice that's being eaten in India with iron. Mari, real quick, do you think this is a a result of, because a lot of people, and I know I, t- I was taught this in middle school and high school and in science, that, and you touched on this a little bit earlier as far as blood, and many people kind of take the blood needing to be built from iron. They know that iron is a component of the blood. Is, is that a result of why we are trying to fortify our foods and do all this stuff because we have this inner belief that, we need more iron to build to build blood, and blood is that lifeline, that circulation that goes through the body. That's the that's the party line, Darren. But that's not the truth. Mm-hmm. It turns out that that new blood is actually made in the bone marrow of our long bones, our long leg bones, and our long arm bones, and and in our hips. Those are the principal sites for new blood to be formed. And we've been taught that. Oh, we need hemoglobin to carry oxygen so that we can get the oxygen that we need. Well, here's here's a, a very different but more accurate reflection of what's going on. Every facet of making blood is copper dependent. But there are eight enzymes needed to make new heme. Four of them take place inside the mitochondria. All four of them require copper. And the first is the rate-limiting step. It requires copper. And the last, number eight, is a critical step where iron is actually inserted into the heme uh, protein, as you're suggesting. And the crane operator is bioavailable copper. Most people don't know that. It's called ferrochelatase enzyme, and it's a copper-dependent enzyme. So the, the very production of blood, or the heme, requires copper for those enzymes. Uh, you got to be able to make energy in order to make new blood. And complex four of the mitochondria is copper-driven. And then there's another component where you need to have iron-sulfur clusters. Well, it turns out that iron-sulfur clusters require a critical enzyme called GRX enzyme. It's copper-dependent. So every facet, the, the three key aspects of making new blood are all copper dependent. Most people don't know that. 
And then iron gets all the credit because the heme goes into making hemoglobin, and the hemoglobin is composed of iron. There's four atoms of iron in each molecule of hemoglobin, and so it's able to hold four oxygen molecules. And so it turns out that iron is the waiter carrying oxygen. Now here's where it gets interesting. So we live on a planet that has oxygen. And, and what most people don't realize is that the reason why we can survive on this planet is because there are critical enzymes called multi-copper oxidases, MCOs, that turn that oxygen into water. They have the unique ability to activate the oxygen so that hydrogen can be added to it and turn it into two molecules of water. That's why we're able to live on this planet, is because of the copper. And so we all have been to restaurants that have waiters carrying food. But we know that back in the kitchen, there's a chef who's activating that food so that it can be made presentable and edible for us to, to enjoy. Well, the chef is copper. The chef is copper in the kitchen, and the chef is copper in the mitochondria. And so <clears throat> the system has been set up to get people to fixate and obsess about iron carrying the oxygen and completely ignore and not realize that copper is needed to make the blood, but more importantly, copper is needed to activate the oxygen that the hemoglobin brings to the tissue so that it can make energy. Because when you convert oxygen into water in the mitochondria, it releases three molecules of the uh, precursor to the energy molecule, ADP, three molecules of ADP, then go over to complex five to become three active forms of the energy molecule, and that's spelled magnesium hyphen ATP. None, none of that's going to happen without copper. So, so think about a year or so ago, I had uh, Terry Walls on, who you're probably familiar with, and we were talking about mitochondria, and specifically, I believe she had got herself back on her feet from MS, and she talked about mitochondria and what actually happens in the cell. Listening to you speak just now, is it is it fair to say that someone who has an autoimmune disorder, autoimmune, uh, autoimmune disease, is in fact has too much iron in the body? Absolutely. There's no question about it. And again, this is not my theory. This is me researching the leading minds on, on autoimmune. And there are three people that I key off of. One is Nancy Andrews who is the former dean of the medical school at Duke University, a world-renowned hematologist. Another is a pathologist at Mayo Clinic, uh, Rebecca King. And third is a noted iron researcher at Harvard School of Public Health. Her name is Marianne Wessling Resnick. And they, these three women are converging on what they believe the true origin of, auto, of all autoimmune, not just MS. Every autoimmune disease you can think of, and there could be as few as 30 and as many as 100, depending upon how you want to slice or to dice it. But, but what they are converging on is the fact that 
in this recycling program that I was talking about, the, the macrophages, one of the things they've got to do is take dying red blood cells offline. And they gobble them up. And what's inside that red blood cell is a ton of iron. In a, in a healthy body that has proper levels of bioavailable copper, the macrophage gathers up that iron and then it's able to have what's called ferrooxidase enzyme function to enable that iron to get back into the blood system, into the bloodstream, to be a part of this recycling program. Well, that's not happening, Darren. The iron's getting stuck in the macrophages. And these macrophages are then attacking the healthy tissue. Because what are the what are these professional Pac-Men really doing? They're, they are the first line of defense against pathogens. And so they get confused when they are full and obese with iron. And again, the articles that are written by these three uh, researchers are quite compelling. And so that multiple sclerosis is, there's an inflammatory component to it, as you well know. And what's really happening is the nerves are supposed to be uh, covered in a what's called a myelin sheath. It's like the, the, the cover for the wires in our home. We've seen wire that has cover to it. Well, the, our nerves have covers to it, and there's an ongoing process to rebuild that cover, but that requires an enzyme called lysyl oxidase, back to that same connective tissue enzyme. And if you don't have bioavailable copper, and if you have too much unbound iron, it causes enzymes to get rusty. Then these nerves start to fray. And when they start to touch, it starts to short them out. And then there's cells that die. And after the cell dies, it becomes calcified. And so people with MS have, they've got CT scans and MRI scans of their brain tissue, and they see little white spots. And those little white spots are brain tissue that's dying or has died. And it can be a very tiny speck all the way up to the size of a quarter, depending upon how advanced their condition is. I don't fully know what Terry Walls did, but I know that she clearly changed her health because of her diet. But I would contend that much of it was because she took the iron out of her system and she was eating food that was allowing for the absorption of copper. And what do you have to have in order to have copper? you got to have fat in your diet. It's a fat-soluble mineral. It's essential that you have fat in your diet in order to absorb copper. And then the beauty of copper is it's what runs the enzymes to break down fat. And there's some very important research being done at uh, Vanderbilt University by Merle Hubler saying that, again, these macrophages that get stuck, well, they're macrophages in our fat cells. And when they get obese with iron, they can't break down the fat and that's one of the causes of obesity, Darren, is this excess iron that's building in our tissue. Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense because if you look at it, everything everything extends from inflammation, and it has to be something causing that inflammation. And the only thing that, that I can think of that's common for everybody is this excess iron. But my question is, why does this accumulate in us over time? It's because we're not, we just don't have, we're eating too many things that have too much iron in them and we're just not being able to kind of balance the, the copper and iron or what, what's actually happening. What, what's really happening is that 
our diet has been so refined and so modified that we're not getting the sources of, of copper and retinol that are essential for regulating iron. We're getting, we're getting way too much iron. I think you're absolutely right about that. No issue with that. But, but, you know, mothers who are pregnant are, are taking prenatals that have way too much iron in them. And, and there's no focus on copper. There's no focus on ceruloplasmin or, or, uh, ferrooxidase. Doctors don't even know what they are and how important they are. And in fact, there's a, there's a, there's a ferrooxidase enzyme in the, in the placenta of the mother's womb. It's called zyclopen. Z-Y-K-L-O-P-E-N. And what that enzyme does is ensure proper uh, movement of iron between mother and child. Well, if the mother is, is sucking down prenatals that have too much iron and is not eating uh, sources of retinol because pregnant women are told to avoid vitamin A because it's toxic to their baby's well-being, which is an absolute lie, but that's part of the party line. And then people are told to take lots of vitamin D for the baby's well-being. That's an absolute lie. And again, this thing just perpetuates itself to the point where it's like, how in the world do we expect to have normal children when we've completely twisted and distorted the food system that our great-great-grandparents wouldn't even recognize? They have no idea. Our ancestors would be appalled at what we call food today because we don't grow it. It's not real. It's not organic. We don't cook it ourselves. We go through a drive-through, and, and any food you get through a window, you and I know that's not real food. But most of the people that we interact with think it is. Talking about while you're talking about babies and, and women, one of the things I ran across when researching is you talked about menopause in the group. And to me, this was a telltale sign because once women stop menstruating, they no longer, menstruation is an outlet for iron to when they release that, when they release their monthly cycle, that's an outlet to get rid of that excess iron. But when menopause, that stops. And you notice a lot of women have health issues once they come into menopause. Another thing is... Once they get into menopause, you also see the osteoporosis, which you talked about in the group as well. I wanted to kind of branch out and talk about you know, just normal things that are happening, things like diabetes, the menopause, where all the problems are and for women for osteoporosis and the fact that we're taught to have all this calcium, but calcium is not the answer. It's something else that's going on. But, but if you could break down those little segments there and talk about them a little Sure. So it's an established fact that there's two reasons why women outlive men. One is they're smarter. They have higher IQ. <laughs> I'm laughing at that one. But you know what? You might be right. <laughs> I think I am right. But the second is they have a monthly blood loss. And they are dumping iron for about 40 years of their life. And it, again, not my not my theory. This is the work of Jerry Sullivan, who was a med student at the University of Florida uh, in the early 70s. He had this thought in a class on cardiology. He said, I wonder if the reason why women have fewer heart attacks 
during their menstruating years is because they're dumping iron. Well, he went on to become a pathologist, and then he went on to prove that he was right, and he developed what's called the iron heart hypothesis. His, article, his initial concepts were published in Lancet in 1981. Now, that would be the equivalent of someone being called up from the minor leagues into Fenway Park and hitting a grand slam on their first time at bat. To publish in Lancet right out of med school is like unreal. But, but the point is, there is a major change in a woman's body when they enter menopause because the plumbing stops. And a lot of serious conditions start to build. And what happens, and what Dr. Sullivan went on to prove, is that the incidence of heart disease after menopause is identical to a man at that point. And it's, it's a very striking set of statistics. <clears throat> what a lot of women worry about uh, as they get older is uh, osteoporosis or certainly osteopenia. And again, what's been drilled into our heads is that, oh, you're losing calcium and you need to take calcium to correct that. Well, the first half of the statement is correct. They are losing calcium. But then you got to ask, why are they losing calcium? And so it turns out that as the iron builds up in the bone marrow, it has an effect on the, the cells that are designed to make new bone cells. So you have two different, two critical cells. You have osteoblasts with a B that are building, and then you have osteoclasts with a C that are crushing or tearing down the bone matrix. Well, it turns out that the osteoblasts with a B uh, require an, an enzyme called alkaline phosphatase, and it also requires lysyl oxidase in order to make new bone tissue. So you need magnesium for alkaline phosphatase, and you need bioavailable copper for the lysyl oxidase. Well, the other side of the story is that there's an enzyme called acid phosphatase, and that's the medium of the osteoclast with a C that break down the tissue, and it's activated by iron. So it turns out that iron is, in fact, the cause of the actual breakdown of the bone's tissue, bone, bone matrix, that's allowing the release of calcium into the bloodstream, and Taking calcium is not going to reverse that problem. It has nothing to do with that problem. Taking vitamin D is going to do nothing to reverse that problem. The problem is that there's too much unbound iron in the bone that needs to be offset with bioavailable copper. And most people don't know that. They don't realize that, that the osteoporosis of aging, uh, they think it, it has to do with, well, it, it's because I don't have any Estrogen, well, that's not it at all. Uh, and there's a very important study done by Jiang, J-I-A-N, in 2009, compared, studying estrogen and iron. And it's a very powerful study. Figure one is, is mind-numbingly clear that it never was a calcium issue. And it's not even an estrogen issue. It's the bioavailability of iron becomes very toxic in a body that has very little copper, and that's the real origin of osteoporosis. And I think you, you probably must have seen 
one of the iron toxicity posts that I did recently on that. The, the issue with diabetes, it's a similar theme, but it's a different location. We're, we're dancing between the pancreas and the liver. When, the, when people have insulin resistance, it's, it's a multifaceted dynamic, but what happens is in a liver that's accumulating too much iron, and that's where iron really accumulates first and foremost is in the liver, the body has to put out more insulin to try to deal with the sugar. Well, there's a point where that just doesn't work anymore. The other side of it is the beta cells of the pancreas, which is the very sensitive tissue in the pancreas, is easily oxidized by iron. And so then the, those tissues stop producing enough insulin. So when it stops producing insulin, we call that type 1 diabetes, and when we have the inability to work with the insulin, or more resistant to it, we call that type 2 diabetes. Again, iron is completely implicated in that, and it, it triggers the production of a key cytokine called tumor necrosis factor alpha, and the correlation between high iron and tumor necrosis factor alpha is incontrovertible, and when TNFA is high, adiponectin is going to be low, because they have a torturous relationship in the body. And when adiponectin is low, you then have a gateway to inflammation and a whole raft of uh, metabolic disorders, uh, not the least of which is diabetes. I came across that last night. That's the first time I ever heard of that, heard of uh, adiponectin. Talk about that. Just give the listeners what that is. Adiponectin is a, is a hormone that's released in the adipocytes. That's the fat cells. Uh, adipose tissue is fat, and so adipocytes are the cells on the fat tissue, and they play a very important role to help to regulate the energy dynamics of the body. And adiponectin is a very important hormone that is very sensitive to insulin levels, sugar levels, iron levels, uh, but in a healthy body, it's what helps us stay fit and thin and healthy. And in a body that is overwhelmed with iron, it's going to cause a production of inflammatory cytokines, and the most significant of which is tumor necrosis factor alpha. And, and TNFA and adiponectin have this very intense antagonistic relationship. And so if, if one gets the upper hand, uh, it's going to affect the other. And, and in a body that's being pummeled with iron, tumor necrosis factor is going to become dominant, and it's going to kill the adiponectin function. Adiponectin is it's also connected with retinol and copper status, as you might expect. And so the, the bioavailability of these nutrients, uh, and it's not a lot, but if you don't have the retinol in your diet, if you don't have copper-rich sources of meat, which is basically organ meats, is the best source. If you don't have whole food vitamin C, because ascorbic acid is not vitamin C, regardless of what they say, uh, because the whole food form of it actually has copper at the center of it, that, that becomes critical sources of these nutrients to help keep our body in balance. And that's really what the basis of the root cause protocol is, is to help get people to focus on these nutrients 
so that their body can begin to get back into balance and that the metabolism can begin to function the way it's supposed to. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you about that. That's probably the last segment of the show. The other thing that caught my eye as well as we were talking about things like diabetes was breast cancer because my mom passed away from breast cancer and I, I read that post in the Magnesium Advocacy Group. And for those of you who are out there and you're not in that group, I really advise you to get in because Morley gives away a lot of good information. I don't know why, but you do. But um, talk talk about that because I know that that's a big thing for women. Women, that's a big scare for women. And it, it blew my mind because it just made a, a, a whole lot of sense for me to realize that this this whole iron thing and having too much iron in the body and how it gets lodged into the breast cells of the breast. Yeah, it's a huge issue. Um, the, the post that you're talking about is when, we're, when we were looking at the content of the breast cancer cells has five times more iron than the healthy cells right next to them. It's a very disorienting piece of information. You're like, huh? I didn't know that iron was in cancer cells. Well, there's tons of iron in cancer cells, and it's not just in breast cancer cells. It's every form of cancer, I would contend, has an inordinate and excessive amount of iron. So it begs the question, why? Well, let's go back to that complex four of the mitochondria that's run by copper, and that's where the, the real, that's the rate-limiting variable of, of energy is complex four, and that copper-based enzyme. It's called cytochrome C oxidase. It's another one of those multi-copper oxidases that allows us to live on planet Earth, and it turns oxygen into water. And when it does that naturally and efficiently, everything's good. But when we begin to get stressed out, minerals begin to leave our body, and if the stress is chronic, it begins to affect the bioavailability of copper. Then the body has to go through triage processes. Where can I, where do I need the copper the most? And when tissue starts to lose the availability of copper, it's going to affect the mitochondria. And when the mitochondria don't have copper, they can't convert oxygen into energy. And so what happens is that the energy production of the tissue starts to go down. And it's going down because there's too much iron, and there's not enough bioavailable copper. And then what actually happens is when the body realizes or the tissue realizes it can't make energy aerobically anymore because there's not enough copper to flip it, it starts to make energy anaerobically. And that's when the cancer comes in. And that's when the cancer yep. comes in. And that's when, that's when the cells start to ferment sugar. And the, the thing is, when you are, when you're aerobically oxidizing a unit of fat, you can get about 130 miles per gallon. When you aerobically oxidize a unit of sugar or glucose, you get about 32 miles per gallon. When you, when you anaerobically ferment a sugar, you get two miles per gallon. And suddenly the cell has to increase the number of cells to make up enough energy to stay alive. And that's what, that's called cancer. And that's a, it's that's what the metastasis is all about, this acceleration of, and proliferation of tissue. Well, here's the part that most people don't know, is that there are three conditions 
to be classified a carcinogen. An element must initiate or promote or progress cancer in order to be considered a carcinogen. has to do one of those three. Darren, there's only one element on planet Earth that does all three. It's called iron. And here's the part that gets really uncomfortable. There's 12 different forms of iron being added to our food system. How many of them have been classified carcinogens? All of them. All 12 of them. And people don't realize that they're eating carcinogens when they eat iron-fortified food. They have no idea. And so, 100 years ago, the incidence of cancer was 1 in 200. Now it's 1 in 2. That's happened in 100 years. That's not, that's not natural. That's not normal. That's not genetic. That's an engineered acceleration of a disease state. And so it's, it's out of control. And it's in large part because most people on the street think they're anemic. They can't get enough iron and they wouldn't know what bioavailable copper was if it bit them in the ankle. Well, it's, the good thing is, is that you've come up with this protocol and this is something that you're launching. I, I, I looked last night where you're launching this on, uh, is it Pathian? I believe it's called, you're looking Patri- to get it. Patri- well, Patri- I've got different platforms. We've obviously got the Magnesium Advocacy Group on Facebook. Got a, got a website that's devoted to the root cause protocol. And easy way to get there is uh, rcp123.org. And then we just launched this Patreon platform where we're just asking for people to help support the research and the ongoing growth and development of the community because it's, we're, you know, we've got over 150,000 people in the Facebook group, which I'm very proud of. But just between you, me, and the lamppost, I want to reach 150 million people before I kick the bucket. So I got to get humping, man. That's why yeah. we're doing this. We gotta, we're going to be doing a lot of these calls, right? Yeah. <laughs> going back to the root cause protocol, you yeah. kind of swing the other way. Tell us, because when I looked at it, I was like, wow, he's, you don't recommend multivitamins. Nope. You're recommending no vitamin D, which we know why now. We talked about that earlier. But what else is contained in that protocol, and why should people follow it? Well, I think uh, people should follow it who want to take control of their health and they want to feel better. It's it's that straightforward. The, the root cause protocol has two basic parts to it. There's, I, I call it a red sandbox and a green sandbox. The red sandbox is we stop working with those nutrients. We don't we don't take calcium supplements, iron supplements, zinc supplements, ascorbic acid. Well we we avoid fluoride wherever we can. We don't take multivitamins, whole series of things. And the reason why is because they undermine the ability of the body to make this ferrooxidase enzyme. That's our real focus focal point. Then the then the the green sandbox really breaks down into three broad categories. There are minerals, whole food vitamin complexes, and nutrient-dense foods. And that's really what the protocol is. It, and what we're really doing is we're just reintroducing the nutrients that our ancestors took for granted in their food. A hundred years ago, these elements were in the food. They no longer exist in the food because of the, the toxic nature of agriculture now with uh, glyphosate which is a metal chelator. It's actually an antibiotic, but it's a metal chelator. And if people are buying their food 
at, at, a, at a box restaurant or out of boxes at the store or cans or frozen food. Most of that food is, is not, it's GMO. I don't think people know that. And it's very toxic. But the purpose of the protocol is to introduce minerals in the form of, of mineral-rich water, taking uh, magnesium supplements, incorporating boron, and taking what we call an adrenal cocktail, which is basically fresh-squeezed orange juice with sea salt and some potassium. But it helps to nourish the adrenals so that you can restore their, their function, which is very important. And then we've got the vitamin complexes. Retinol, obviously very important, and that's found in the cod liver oil. B vitamins, very, very important. Never from a bottle. That's made from coal tar derivatives. They're very toxic. And so we get them from bee pollen, get them from rice bran, and get them from beef liver. And I've got, just to give the listeners a perspective, I've got 25 vegan clients who are taking desiccated liver tablets. That's how desperate they are to feel better. And so they're getting a lot of nutrients from that desiccated product. Oh. Let me ask you real quick about that because you're vegan people. Because a lot of just this foods that we have have contained iron potatoes and stuff like that. And, and those are plants. But uh, how are they getting around that? Because I've interviewed and nothing to my vegan people. I have nothing against you. Don't even take it if you're listening. But I've had a lot of people who have been on the show as people who've written books, you know, like yourself or nutritionists. And one thing that seems to be a common theme is they were vegan at one time and then they went back to, to eating meat. So how are your, based upon this knowledge that you have now, how are your vegan clients getting around that? It's just, just the desiccated liver or are they doing other stuff to kind of circumvent that iron? No, it's a, it's a great question. So people who are most iron toxic are the vegans because they don't realize how twisted the food system is. And they think, well, I'm not getting I'm not getting heme iron, so therefore I'm not getting iron. Well, there's a lot of iron in in other foods that they're eating. They're eating a lot of a lot of people eat a lot of grain when they're when they're vegan. They don't realize that there's iron fortified grains. They're not getting retinol and the vitamin A supplements that are sold in bottles is not the same thing as retinol that comes from an animal. And so if they don't have true sources of retinol, they're not going to have proper iron regulation, and it's going to build up in their body, and it's a very serious situation. I've got clients that are along the spectrum, some that are still maintaining their position not to eat meat, but they're willing to eat these other substances, and that's at one extreme. And the other extreme are vegans who are deciding it's not worth it. I, I don't feel right, and I'm I'm willing to make the sacrifice. I don't support commercial CAFO farming, but I can find farmers in my area, and I'm starting to uh, reincorporate the meats. But more important than the meats are the fats. The, the, I can't emphasize enough how important these animal-based fats are that we've been shielded from for most of our lives. So that, that becomes a, an important component of it. And the, the thing is, the, the protocol is is designed to be uh, rolled out on a self-serve basis. And there's 12 different parts to it. And you don't, don't have to do all 12 right away. But the whole idea is to begin to uh, restore and rebalance these nutrients that have been missing from our food system. And as that takes place, these enzyme pathways start to work the way they're supposed to work. The ferrooxidase enzyme starts to regulate the iron, and a lot of good things come from that. And so it's just an important step-by-step uh, -step process. 
what are some of the successes you have? I saw I saw a lot in the, the group last night, but I know you have your own uh, testimonial page. Which I believe it's a private group. But what are some of the successes that you've had with uh, people in this in the root cause protocol? Um, I've got a an individual. These are these are not even clients, Darren. These are just people that I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. Individual who was struggling with fibromyalgia for 25 years, who's now back at work. Thank you very much. A nurse who worked in a eye hospital that was near suicidal, and she started the protocol, and she's now back in the swing of things. Another colleague up in um, in Norway who called me. It was about a year ago, in tears, because she had been to 25 doctors over 17 years, never could get her thyroid to work right, and she was calling from Norway to thank me because she had her life back, and all she did was follow the protocol. I I had the great honor yesterday of talking with a gentleman who I've only heard about. One of my students has a grandfather. His name is Chester. He's 80, he'll be 87 next week. And Chester is a really sharp guy. Uh, he was a former electrical engineer that specialized in, in metrics. And he had dementia. And he wasn't able to remember the punchlines to his jokes. And he started to fall down. And he started to break bones when he fell down. And so his granddaughter, who he's very close to, decided, what did she have to lose? She was going to put Grandpa on the on the protocol, whether he knew it or not. And in eleven weeks, eleven weeks, he was able to start telling his jokes again, much to the amazement of his family, much to the shock of his doctors. And he doesn't fall down anymore. And so yesterday, as a surprise, Alicia, his granddaughter, arranged to have a conversation between the two of us. Neither one of us knew who was on the other end of the line. And we had this very heartwarming conversation between an 86-year-old guy and a 65-year-old guy. And he said, I can't believe I'm actually talking to the Morley Robbins. And I said, well, well, Chester, I can't believe I'm talking to the Chester. And he burst out because <laughs> this guy's a legend in, in my world because at, at the tender age of 86, he was able to restore his life back where he's a happy man again. Wow. That's a big testament, man. It's a big testament, and it seems like you've certainly hit on something that no one ever hit upon. And I would, I would expect nothing less from you, Morley. Like I, I remember you on Sean's show a, a long time ago, and it's just your voice kind of struck something in me. And I was like, yeah, I gotta have that guy on my show. <laughs> and when I, when I finally start my podcast, and sure enough, when I did, I looked you up and, and you were gracious enough to come on. That's one of the things I like about you as well is you're always willing to speak and share your knowledge. And like I said, I can't believe that you are actually giving this root cause protocol away <laughs> for free to to just help people. And all they have to do is follow the protocol. But man, but I'm, Darren, I've, I've already bought all the islands in the South Pacific I need. You know that. <laughs> yeah, you're rich enough. huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You got it. I got banks and I'm just rolling in dough, buddy. No, it's just, this is a, this has become a, um, this is my life's work. I'm, I've never worked so hard in my life, but I've never felt the, the blessing and the opportunity to help my fellow man. And so it, it just, it's a, it's a pinch me as this real moment. And I'm very honored and humbled by the opportunity to do this. Yeah. 
Hey, your website, I think I, I wrote it down as we were talking, rcp123.org. For those people who are listening to this and they're on Facebook, just look for the Magnesium Advocacy, Advocacy Group and you can go and you can get in there. I think you have to, to be accepted into the group, but it's a lot of people in there. It's, it surprised me because all the people that I'm connected with, I'm connected with people like you who are a lot of nutritionists and there are a lot of nutritionists in your group. So that says a lot about what you're doing because people actually who are doing this are learning from you, which is huge. But keep keep doing the work you're doing, man. I'm going to cut the show because we could probably stay on here for three hours. But <laughs> like you're always invited to come back and, and do another show. Like I said, you, you've been on three times. I think you have. You're the king. So no one else has been on three times <laughs> other than you. And you're always welcome to come back. And I do appreciate your time and the conversation more. Well, absolutely. I really appreciate the chance to, to have this update. And do me a favor. I've I would love nothing more than be able to share some of this with Sean Croxton. I haven't been able to get a hold of him for a couple of years. So if you still have connections with him, I would love to uh, have you be a party to kind of get us back into contact with each other. It'd be a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't Sean disappeared. You know, he stopped doing the health stuff and he went off into some motivational stuff. Oh, and, really? Oh, yeah, interesting. I, I used okay. to get his emails and... Um, I don't know what he's doing now. He has another site. It's called SeanCroxon.com, but he started interviewing other people who were not in the health. It was more motivational type stuff, but I haven't seen anything from him lately, so I don't know what he's doing. I know he did release that. Uh, if you remember, he was talking about the Jerf Bar. Yeah, exactly. I think he released it. He got it done, but I don't know if it's just in San Diego or, or what, but they... Hey, cool. Well, well that's, I'm, always, I'm always grateful that he got us connected. So um, I look forward to our continued dialogue going forward. All right. Thanks, Marley. You bet. Sure. Thanks Have for being here. You too. Thanks. Bye.